according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. We are in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 10, and uh, dealing with the last portion of the chapter here, verses 22 through 32, which is our 13th point of the outline, point 13. Not to be superstitious, I don't mind it if a chapter has 13 points. Chapter 10 concludes with a long chain of disconnected life principles. Eight out of these 11 verses feature antithetical parallelism contrasting the wicked with the righteous. And so we've gone through so far, uh, verse 22, it is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich. He adds no sorrow to it. Verse 23, doing wickedness is like sport to a fool, and so is wisdom to a man of understanding. Uh, and uh, we're presently in verse 24, that which wicked, or what the wicked fears will come upon him, but the desire of the righteous will be granted. And so we're talking about fears and desires, and uh, the contrast here between the righteous and the wicked. Before we get started, let's take a moment for silent prayer and ask God to set aside distractions and to humble us under the authority of his truth. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you this morning for the blessing we have to assemble together. We call upon your faithfulness to uh, lead us in the paths of righteousness, to set aside distractions, to take every thought captive in obedience to Christ Jesus. Father, fix our eyes on him, the author and finisher of our faith. Open our minds to the truth of your word that we might understand the scriptures. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so uh, sub-point A is what we were dealing with, with the blessings of Yahweh. These provide the riches without regrets, and uh, when we accept his blessings, there's no reason to regret in that capacity, whereas Satan's provision will have all kinds of regrets. It'll have strings attached, it'll have other issues and things that uh, we want no part of. Uh, We also talked about sport, what it is that we find fun, what it is we find entertaining, and sin should not be fun. But it does say so in verse 23, doing wickedness is like sport to a fool. And so we don't want to make light of wickedness or sin, or we don't want to view it as a form of entertainment. Instead, we should find the Word of God to be our entertainment. We should, be, uh, we should find it very recreational. It's fun to just open up a Bible and start reading verses and then dwell upon it and, and consider the, uh, the sporting and the playing and the enjoying of the Word of God. Just play with it. You know, and, and you know when you watch little kids play, you know, your triplets, and I mean, you watch these these little kids run around and play, and, and it's amazing how they, you know, one's chasing one, and then one's chasing the other, and then they run over the swing set, and then they go down a slide, and then they go across monkey bars, or, you know, and and you think, well, who who's choosing what order they're doing these things in, or why are they going from this to this, or when then they go from that to that, and, and whatever, and, and there's no. We, it seems like there's no rhyme or reason to it because they're just having fun. They're just playing. And we should do that with the Word of God. We should just have fun. Not all the time, of course. I mean, when we're under teaching, when we're in church, then it's more structured and, and, and clearly. But just on your own and during the day and during the week and, and just play with the Word of God. Have fun with it. You know, go from the swing set to the slide to the monkey bars to whatever and, and then just fellowship with the Word of God and with, with the Lord and, 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 and have fun on a recreational basis. It should be sporting. It should be playing. It should be enjoying the Word of God, which is our privilege. 
All right. But then we got to deal with verse 25, or I'm sorry, with uh, our next verse here. Uh, what are our temporal fears? And as we're looking at it in Proverbs 10.24, there it is, Proverbs 10.24, what the wicked fears will come upon him, but the desire of the righteous will be granted. And really it's, it's again, antithetical parallelism here where we've got righteous versus wicked, but we also have the, the diametrically opposed things of, of being fearful versus having desires, all right? Godly desires, desires shaped by the Word of God. And we're not just going from day to day in, in, in a state of, of carnality or in a state of, of permanent pessimism. I, I, I'm a pessimist by nature, uh, but thankfully in the, in the, when I'm in fellowship, you can overcome that, right? <laughs> the Holy Spirit provides the, uh, the optimism and the hope and the desire and, the, and the, the living reality of being a child of God. Uh, but just to go from fear to fear to fear, um, man, what kind of life is that? And so what the wicked fears will come upon him. And most often, uh, I think, in self-fulfilling prophecies, they're expecting it to happen. They're looking for it to happen. And all day, every day, they just can't wait for the next episode so they can say, see, I told you so, and there you go. And uh, I think a lot of times this, uh, this happens in politics, this happens in, in uh, race relations, this happens in so many aspects of, of life today, whereas people are just on this, this horrible fear of, well, it's going to happen again, it's going to happen again, it's going to happen again, and lo and behold, there it is. All right, well, when you're living in that kind of expectation of fear, of course it's going to happen all day, every day, that's what you're expecting. So we need to deal with these issues. All right, so we have fears on the one hand, and then we have desires on the other hand. And those are the godly desires, what God is providing, what, uh, what He supplies in our thinking so that we identify His goodness as it unfolds. And I think that's a, uh, a blessing as well. Now, uh, based on what I recall, we looked at the fear verses last week, but we did not get to the desire verses. Is that what you recall as well? All right, well then we can talk about some desires. So as it says here, the desire of the righteous will be granted. Woohoo, that sounds like prosperity theology. <laughs> that says if I want it, I get it. All right, so I desire a Ferrari. And, and, and now if God doesn't give me a Ferrari, well then the scriptures are lying and God's a liar and, and why, why is this not working? Okay, well, maybe I shouldn't desire a Ferrari. Maybe that's not the desire that I have from him. And it's not what I'm lusting after. It's not... In a carnal sense, none of this is designed to be carnal. Psalm 21, 2. I like Psalm 21. And uh, we can take a look at these verses next. It is a Davidic psalm. O Lord, in your strength, the king will be glad. And in your salvation, how greatly he will rejoice. You have given him his heart's desire. And you have not withheld the request of his lips. Now notice again, here's heart desire, but what kind of heart is that? It's the heart of a believer that's being transformed by the Word of God. All right, It's not a wicked heart of an untransformed uh, believer or unbeliever, somebody that's conformed to this age, whose twisted wicked heart, uh, we know from Scripture, is, is desperately wicked, who can know it? All right? I think the context in, in each of these principles, I think, is, is huge, because it lays out the... Uh, the distinction there. So verse 1 shapes the parameters for King David and his love for the Word of God and how the Word of God is shaping his heart. And of course, under those conditions, yes, the heart desire is going to be provided for and the, the request of his lips, we're going to have the request which we have from him. 
in, uh, in that application. Still in Psalm, over to Psalm 37. There's more in Psalm 21, but I'd get lost, I think, in some of these if to spend the whole hour in some of these. Psalm 37, 4. Again, it's a Davidic psalm. Verse 1 says, Do not fret because of evildoers. Do not be envious toward wrongdoers. For they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. So again, we have a picture here in verse 3 of a believer that's not only saved, but he's a disciple. He's abiding in the Word of God. He's trusting in the Lord. Um, he's cultivating the, the faithfulness there. He's letting the Word of God transform his thinking. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. And I think that delight, is that one we saw last week on playing, on delighting? It's the same principle, even if it's a different verb. Okay, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. The description here is once again as a believer that's being transformed by the Word of God, that's living in the Word of God. He's not just checking it out occasionally, not just dropping in when his life's a wreck and figures, well, maybe the Bible will have something to help me out. Okay, He's living in the Word of God constantly. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him and He will do it. Uh, He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. And so the the whole chapter here is is conveying this idea that our privilege in living in the Word of God is to have this this blessing, to have these heart attitudes shaped and then provided for. All right, Psalm 145 and verse 19. Once again, a Davidic psalm. Think this was important to David? (laughs) All right. Um, Back up to verse 18, I guess, or 17. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. So, What's the picture? A believer with intimacy, a believer that's near to the Lord, a believer that's in the truth. Uh, He will fulfill the desire of those who fear Him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. So it's not a blank check in a a name it and claim it prosperity theology, but it's the uh, fearing of the Lord, having the heart transformed by Him, having the request which we receive from Him, and these issues here. It's It's not just pointing at something and saying, I want that, right? It's not Samson who's looking and sees a pretty woman and says, I want that, and uh, demands that his parents arrange the, uh, arrange the marriage accordingly. Okay? It's, it's, it's the desires that we have because the Word of God is shaping our desires. So he will fulfill the desire of those who hear him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. The Lord keeps all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. And so the contrast there is very similar to what we're dealing with here in Proverbs chapter 10. All right, and then 1 John in the New Testament, 1 John 5, 14 and 15. It's not limited to the Psalms, not limited to Old Testament. First John chapter 5. 
verses 14 and 15. Um, Verse 13 says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence which we have before Him, in His face, in His presence, in this personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Not only being saved, but being with Him. You understand? This is walking with the Lord. This is being transformed by the Word of God. This is a, a relationship. It's, 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 it's um, the reason why we have that emphasis that's made in John 1. In the beginning was the Word. And where was the Word? The Word was with God. The same was where? In the beginning with God. And that emphasis is on that relationship, on that interaction between the Father and the Son, the intimacy they had with one another. And we said the same thing here. All right, the confidence which we have before Him, in His face, in His presence, in this fellowship with the Father and with the Son. That if we ask anything, and and this becomes key also, notice, according to His will, He hears us. Okay, according to His will. It's, It's not likely His will for me to get that Ferrari this afternoon. You know, how dangerous would I be with something like that? Okay, and I know we're asking according to His will. And, and how do we know His will? Well, we've got to be in the Word of God. That's, that's where His will is made known. And we know that He hears us in whatever we ask. We know that we have the requests which we have asked from Him. The very request, He's, put, he's laid it on our heart. The very thing we're asking, we're asking it because He gave it to us so that we could ask it. That's why He knows what we need before we even ask in these in these asks in these in these desires he's laid them upon us as he's shaping us as he's directing our thinking so we have the request which we have asked from him the very specific request he's giving us that request as he gives us that desire so these become i think significant as well all right so do you want to spend your life uh, fearing you want to spend your life just dreading what's going to happen next or do you want to spend your life in joyous anticipation of what's going to happen next because he's giving you these desires you're asking for these desires he's providing these desires and uh, clearly day by day this is the blessing we have to live in the word of god all right so that's verse 24 point d we get into uh moving past disasters how do we move past disasters sub point d how do we move past disasters the word of god provides the firm foundation the firm foundation we need for stability in the blowing winds of angelic conflict how do we move past disasters as it says here in verse 25 when the whirlwind passes you think man when the whirlwind passes well guess what there's going to be two consequences the unbeliever and the believer and sadly the believer without the stability of the word of god is going to find himself in a similar spot to the unbeliever because they don't have the stability that the word of god provides for them so when the whirlwind passes the wicked is no more but the righteous has an everlasting foundation you know the message christ taught about the house built upon the rock and and or versus the house that's built upon the sand and uh, so the uh, the wicked is no more, but the righteous has an everlasting foundation. You know, and we have illustrations in our day and age. I mean, Hurricane Katrina 
uh, devastated the, the Gulf Coast. And, and my buddy uh, Jay Rarer, who had been the pastor of Grace Memorial Bible Church there in Biloxi, Mississippi, that, was, that place was gone. And then, and then so how many other members lost their houses? And, and, and most of the, the church membership moved on, moved to Louisiana or moved to Washington State or moved to Indiana or moved wherever the, the church is gone. And I guess that's common in a lot of the, the places there in the post-Katrina era. They, they departed and they didn't go back. All right. Um, in any event, so we have Proverbs 10.25 to introduce this. Stability. Think about a firm foundation. Think about what remains no matter what wind blows against it. And, uh, and how fun it is to think about these things and how much of our hymnology addresses these things. You know, the, the wind can blow all it want. We're on the rock. We're on Christ. And we have stability. Stability in our personal life, and our thinking, in, uh, in all things. Job 27 addresses this in verses 18 through 21. It's, it's, I think, common in wisdom literature. It's common in the ministry of our Lord. It's common in the New Testament in uh, describing this. Stability. Job 27, verses 18 through 21. And stability, in, in my mind, is um, something that I stress. I, I stress it as a facet of, of ministry here at Austin Bible Church. That uh, the... the I think the, the form of teaching to which we are committed lends itself to stability and it fosters stability because, uh, because we're growing, because we're studying the Word of God systematically. We're adding Scripture to Scripture. That, that this is the, the nature, and it's not fun and exciting and jazzy and, and <laughs> we're not uh, going to pack the house with all the fun and games and entertainment, but we're going to produce the long-term stability that the Word of God supplies. All right, Job 27, verses 18 through 21. The, um, in, in this argumentation here, Job, this is Job speaking, talking about the wicked. And uh, if I was to back up all the way to verse 13, we can see that he has a portion, he has an inheritance, and uh, things there. He, he might be rich as anything. Verse 16, uh, though he piles up silver like dust and prepares garments as plentiful as the clay, he may prepare it, but the just will wear it, and the innocent will divide the silver. And what a principle. Why does God allow for the wicked to get so filthy rich? <laughs> okay, well, yeah, God, you know, what does that matter anyway? The filthy, the riches of this world? And what God does when he provides for his children? I, I find that to be just a beautiful principle. All right, from there, verse 18, he has built his house like the spider's web. What does that mean? Well, it might look kind of glorious. It might look impressive. There's no question that the, the, some of the, uh, the artistry and some of the design and some of that, I mean, you can find some beautiful spider webs out there, but uh, just by the intricacy of their design and, and so forth. But how stable is, is it? You know, you can smash a spider's web and walk through it or the wind can blow it and and, and the nature of, of, of the web is, is what it is. So he's built his house like a spider's web or a hut which the watchman has made. And that's uh, like a cucumber hut or a watchman hut, a scarecrow in the, in the field. It's, it's just a little uh, temporary thing and you tear it down the next morning anyway. He lies down rich but never again. He opens his eyes and it is no longer. Imagine waking up one morning and finding it's all gone. That's how fleeting uh, the, the riches of this world can be. 
and, and why they're constantly living in fear that, well, what happens if I don't wake up? Or what happens if I wake up and it's gone? Terrors overtake him like a flood. A tempest steals him away in the night. And so the, here comes the wind. And, you know, we, we read these passages and, and sometimes it appears like we're talking about meteorological phenomena. We're talking about wind. Uh, other times we realize, no, we're talking about angels. We're talking about spiritual turmoil. We're talking about the conflicts of, of life, a tempest that we're dealing with. And how easy is it to be carried away, to let circumstances and details just carry you away? And all these problems of life, and you find that you've been swept away, and, and you, you're all wrapped up in problems, and you haven't thought about the Lord in, in hours, days, weeks, all right, because you've been swept away, carried away by these winds. The east wind carries him away and he is gone, for it whirls him away from his place. Yeah, not surprising. All right, Psalm 104 and verse 4 reminds us that sometimes these winds are actually angels. And much of what we deal with is the angelic conflict. Psalm 104, 4, he makes the winds his messengers, flaming fire his ministers. And so uh, I think if we're dealing with winds in the Old Testament or the New Testament, we've got to ask ourselves, are we talking about uh, meteorological phenomena? Are we talking about the spirit dimension? Angels, fallen angels, elect angels. Uh, It's not an accident why uh, both in Hebrew and in Greek the same word is translated breath or wind or spirit. All right, And uh, these are things that we need to consider. So he makes the winds his messengers. We may find out when we get to heaven that Katrina was actually an angel. Just, you know, we call them hurricanes, and this is hurricane season, and some of these uh, uh, meteorological phenomena, science thinks they, they're so smart, they've got all these things figured out. Uh, we're going to find out some of these uh, fires, as it says here, winds and fires both have an angelic dimension. All right, what does our Savior say? Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. These messages are so timeless. They're in Proverbs, they're in Scripture, they're in Brothers Grimm. <laughs> they're in fairy tales, you know. I could, we could do the, the three little pigs this morning and what are we teaching? You know, huff and puff and blow the house down. And, um... What kind of house do you want to build? Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 and 25. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them. See, the contrast is not only between a believer and unbeliever, or a believer under teaching versus a believer not under teaching. There's even a, a subcategory beyond that. Because there are believers who are under teaching, but they don't do anything with what they've been taught. They're under teaching, but they're hearers only and not doers. You realize that's now a third subdivision of humanity. So, I mean, just break it down and ask yourself, where do I want to be? You want to be, so, so go past that unbeliever, believer, well, we're hopefully past that, right? We're, we're saved. But then within the scope of being believers, those that are under teaching versus not under teaching, okay, check that off, I'm under teaching. But now that final subdivision. Am I going to be a doer of the word? I'm under teaching and am I going to live it out? 
Am I, am I going to actually live out my, the, the faith that's being transformed? And that's what Jesus is applying here. So everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. All right? And then the contrast. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them. So notice they're under teaching. They've heard the word. And this is what makes it just so heartbreaking. In, uh, in, 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 in ways beyond even you know an unbeliever, we expect to do what they're doing. But a believer who should know better, a believer who's had the teaching, and they're living a, a non-biblical lifestyle, they're doing whatever, it's just, it's, it crushes the, the, the heart to, to see such things. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and it fell. See, there's no stability, there's no firm foundation, there's no rock. And the whole difference is, is the attitude of that believer to the Word of God in, in learning it, in living it, in making the application. And great was its fall. And that's the contrast. And, and, and so, you know, when I'm looking at, at politics and I'm looking at current events, <laughs> I'm looking at the course of human history and I'm wondering about the, the destiny of the United States of America and, and what's in store, uh, I, I can't help but, but ponder what's, the, what's the, the attitude of most Christians to the Word of God. Are they learning it? Are they living it? Do we have a pivot? Is there anything remaining that's going to that's gonna save this nation? Or is it all just, <clears throat> as we were talking about last hour, the moralistic, therapeutic deism? Is it all just this, this form of godliness while they deny its power? Is it just this phony show? Because when the, when the, when the rain and the winds and, and this description hits, great is its fall. Where's the stability? Ephesians 4.14 addresses this. Ephesians 4.14 But there's reason to hope. (laughs) Okay? Not in politicians, of course. But occasionally, like last night was a blessing, I got to meet the first, I was telling Randy before class, the first assistant uh, attorney general for the state of Texas. So he's the the right-hand man for, for attorney general Ken Paxton. And uh, his name is Jeff Mateer. And he's the first assistant attorney in the Texas Attorney General's office. And he's a believer. He's a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, and he's under teaching. He has a frame of reference for the Word of God. And we were able to fellowship last night, Sharon and I, and, and uh, Jeff and his wife. Deanne is her name. And what a, what a delight to know that there's believers in office that have that kind of perspective. To know that our governor is a born-again believer under teaching. To know that he is a, not only is he saved, but he has a, a divine viewpoint perspective to the Word of God. And that's, uh, that's encouraging as well. All right. Ephesians 4. As a result. As a result of what? <laughs> well, okay, back up. Um, <clears throat> the blessing that we have here 
in the Word of God, to be transformed. Uh, Jesus Christ gave some as prophet, apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. Okay, that's verse 11. <clears throat> we know that the Holy Spirit gives every believer their spiritual gift. But Jesus Christ gives spiritually gifted believers to local churches, to particular assemblies. And so as a gift of Jesus Christ, we have gifted evangelists and gifted pastors and teachers that have been given to this assembly, right? There's no more apostles, there's no more prophets. This was my, our, my message last Sunday night in the ministry workshop. There's no more apostles, there's no more prophets, but we still have evangelists and we have pastor teachers. And Jesus Christ gives those gifted evangelists and those gifted pastor teachers to particular lampstands for their blessing and for their edification, for their equipping. And here's the purpose clause. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Remember, Jesus Christ is the one that does all of this. He's the head of the church. He directs where we go and when we go and why we go and and every other detail. He walks in the midst of every lampstand. He holds the stars in His right hand. He provides the gifted believers for those lampstands to equip and train those, those believers, those sheep. Equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. And uh, you know, if you don't have an evangelist in your local church, then you end up doing the work of an evangelist. And that's what Paul ordered Timothy to do. Do the work of an evangelist. But then when he gives you an evangelist, how many years did I spend praying for an evangelist? And then God gives me four of them. <laughs> All right, thanks. You know, and so now we have these gifted evangelists that, that can work in tandem with a gifted pastor teacher. And, uh, and this is what we have for the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And boy, when I look at that as a goal, I think, wow. You know, and I, and I don't view it as the, 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 the pessimist that says we'll never get there. I view it with the blessings of God that says that's where He's taking us. That's where He's taking all of us. He's bringing all of us to this stature, the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. We're going to get to that place. All of us are. We're going to get to that place where we can be hanging on a cross and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Wow. Because that's the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. And we will, we will have all that maturity and stability as our Savior exhibited. He demonstrated for us. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. And this is the stability that we have as we grow. And we realize there's stages along the way. Yes, there are babes. And there are babes that can be tossed. There are babes that can be uh, carried about. Then there's adolescents that can be caught, tossed and carried about. Adolescents that can be, uh, maybe they can't be... Uh, thrown down by conflict, but they can be led astray by bad teaching. And they can be seduced into uh, fads and, and other uh, crazes that come along. And they can get swept up in some kind of a, uh, a, a bizarre thing that happens. We're, our nation's kind of big on this. <laughs> you know, there's just different waves that come passing through from time to time. And uh, I used to keep track of them, and now I've kind of lost track on what the latest uh, uh, thing is. It's, it's not purpose-driven anymore, or Jabez, or 
um, any of the other ones more recent than that. Tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. And if, it, if it's not sim- the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ, why do I want any part of it? If it's some kind of a gimmick, if it's some kind of a scheme, why am I getting jazzed up about it? Why am I getting excited about it? Why am I, uh, in fact, there was another one I was introduced to yesterday that um, probably none of us would be swept up in because it, it, it was running like wildfire through the, through the charismatic churches. Now I can't think of what it was, but any, in any event. But speaking the truth in love, but truthing. Take the verb aletheia, or take the noun aletheia and make a, a verb out of it. Speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. And so the Word of God in a local church with gifted evangelists and gifted pastor teachers operating together as Ephesians 4 describes this. This is what it's all about. The chapter begins this way. Walking in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Stability is worthy. Instability is not worthy. And, And so we can use this as a bellwether. We go back to Proverbs 10 and use this as a bellwether. Am I being tossed? Am I stable? Am I on the firm foundation or am I on the, sh- the shifting sand? And just use it as a, as, a, as a bellwether, as a benchmark. Use it as a red flag and say, you know what, I'm, I'm observing some instability in my life. Now I, I need to knuckle down. I need to get more serious in my prayers. I need to get more serious in my study. I need to get more serious in my fellowship with the, the body of Christ. These issues should be um, red flags for us. All right. So uh, growing up into all aspects, into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part. I'm functioning in the body. I'm using my gift. I'm pursuing my ministries. I'm achieving my effects. And I'm a part of that, what every joint supplies causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. And so here it is. All right, so this is, again, stability, absolute stability. 2 Timothy 2.19. Sometimes, too, this can be useful in um, courtship, in dating, in preparing for marriage, in, in things. Um, yeah. If, if in the in the course of the the dating and the course of the courtship or whatever you're pursuing or calling it, uh, you, you observe this manifest instability, well, that's a that's a clue. <laughs> okay, um, step back, take some time, grow up, uh, get some stability. Um, unstable single people don't work well in in in, in promoting a, a stable marriage. Okay, and don't think that marriage is going to fix it. No, get get the stability before the Lord first. You want two stable people to enter into a stable marriage. All right. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 19. Here's a firm foundation. <laughs> Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands. Now notice what that follows. This, um, this horrible shifting sand that too many believers get caught up with. Uh, wrangling about words. Verse 14. Remind them of all these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless, 
and leads to the ruin of the hearers. And, and, and that's where the, the shifting sand is. That's where the, the instability comes from. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. What's this? This is a believer living in the Word of God, learning the Word of God, and doing the Word of God. As you're presented before Him, you're presented before Him as a workman. Not as a disciple, but as a workman. You're reporting for duty and saying, Father, teach me because I'm putting this into work. As a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the Word of Truth. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. All right, now, I think this is the good corollary to our Galatians material, right? Because we're talking in Galatians 6 6 about echoing the Word of God. And we want to echo the Word of God. But we're echoing the Logos as the Logos has been taught in the local assembly. We're not spreading these these lies or this talk or this worldly and empty chatter. And I hope we're, we're clear on those distinctions. Men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place and they have set the faith of some. That's not echoing the Word of God. That's not cat echo in, in Galatians 6.6. 6. That's the empty worldly chatter that, that we need to stop right here, right now. This is upsetting the faith of some. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Isn't that beautiful? And here we are. We belong to Him. I belong to Him. I'm in His presence day by day. I'm constantly in His Word. I'm willing to do His Word. I'm yoked together with Him. <laughs> right? This is the whole description. And on this basis I have stability. On this basis, I have a firm foundation. Everything else is sinking sand, right? All other ground is sinking sand. Finally then, um, James I think if you have an unstable walk, you're going to have unstable prayers. And uh, it's reflected in this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. Well, why is he doubting? Where's the stability? For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That went man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And clearly, we want no part of that. All right, and so uh, I think the double-mindedness is is you know the, the 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 constant back and forth between spirituality and carnality. The 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 double-mindedness is on the one hand you you know the mind of Christ, but on the other hand. You're you're uh, you're you're so unstable about it that you won't go to him in prayer. You 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 know what to ask for, but you're not sure he's going to provide for it. It's just it's just it's the, where's the stability? How are we how are we going to how's a prayer life like that going to achieve any kind of glory for Jesus Christ? The doubt itself makes it sin. First Corinthians fourteen, I think, is is self evident of that. 
whatever is not from faith is sin. And so the faith that you have, have as your own, uh, the conviction that you have, have as your own faith conviction before the Lord. Happy is he who does not condemn himself and what he approves. We should be making every decision on a faith basis, not a fear basis. We should be making every prayer request on a faith basis, not a fear basis. If we're doubting, um, then to me, that's just blasphemy before the throne of grace. Going to him and saying, well, Lord, I don't know if you can help me on this, but if there's anything you can think of, (laughs) you know, to bail me out of this, and I doubt you really want to anyway, (laughs) because, you know, what an unstable prayer as it reflects an unstable soul. All right, so we have the principle there. Again, it's Proverbs 10, 25, when the whirlwind passes, the wicked is no more, but the righteous has an everlasting foundation. And the stability from the Word of God, the stability to live out your faith until any storm just passes by and we just look around when it's done and go, wow, God's faithful, isn't He? Look what He brought me through. Thank you, Lord. And you just, just move on and say, hey, it's a new day. Thank you, Lord. Meanwhile, everyone else is just freaking out all around you like, oh, I lost this, I lost that. All of a sudden, you know, man, calm down. Here we are. God is faithful. All right, verse 26. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the lazy one to those who send him. Do people ever let you down? And... Um, Something that you were hoping was going to get done and a week later it's not done, a month later it's not done, six months later it's not done. And you're like, man, how long does it take you know, to change a light bulb? Or whatever it is. That, that, and, then, and then you finally just get so put out, you do it yourself because the slug's not doing it anyway. Who needs them? Okay. Well, among the worst, is, I think this is worse than the hurricane. Among the worst disasters are the slugs we count on, but who let us down? Among the worst disasters are the slugs we count on, but who let us down? And uh, this too becomes a principle. And, and interestingly enough, okay, Proverbs talks about the sluggard many, many times. And, and so it's not a shock to us. The vocabulary is straightforward and, and everything here is great. As far as we understand the sluggard, but, but this verse isn't talking about the sluggard. This verse is talking about the moron that was trusting the sluggard. It's talking about the, the person who sent. The, the failure here is not on the sluggard. Yes, the sluggard failed. But the failure is in the person who was depending on the sluggard and now is experiencing the, the vinegar in the teeth or the smoke in the eyes. The perspective on this is... Uh, on the sender, the one who sent him, the one who sent him. And I think if we spotlight that, the one who sent him is the one, is, is the focus of this verse. Not the slug, okay? The slug is the, is the illustration, but the one who sent him is the one that's being addressed. Because he's the one that's got the vinegar in his teeth. He's the one that's got the smoke in his eyes. The sluggard, he's, he's just, whatever, he's doing his sluggard thing. Okay, he, uh, he's, not, he's not suffering with uh, the smoky eyes or the, the vinegar mouth. Okay, 
This becomes, I think, key as well. Are we, are we trusting in man? Cursed is the man that trusts in man. Okay? I want to make that a big point of emphasis, not only this morning, but in the, in the weeks ahead as, as believers approach uh, an election. If, if you're trusting in man, stop. Stop right here, right now. And, and it's not, uh, our Savior is not a politician. Okay, on the not on the ballot this this time around, and uh, we hopefully we're clear on that. Um, so it's the one who sent him, the one who sent him, the lazy one to those who sent him, and and those who send. This is this is key because uh, how many times does it come up in the Gospels? Jesus is constantly talking about the one who sent me. He said, "I'm here to do the will of him who sent me." You don't hear my words because you don't believe in him who sent me. And time and time again, in fact, Jesus uses the phrase, him who sent me, so many times, I'm tempted to make that one of the names of God. The name of God, the Father, is him who sent me, the, the sender of Jesus Christ, all right? With both an apostello verb and a pimpo verb, him who sent me. And as the Father sent me, so send I you. There's a whole doctrine attached to him who sent me. And, and that's uh, obviously in the New Testament, and that's a, that's a, that's a huge theme. But here... It, again, it's him who sent me, or those, plural, those who sent him. They're the ones that have the problem. And so I think they're the ones that need to learn this principle. The slugger's got his own principle he's got to learn. Yeah, he's got to quit being a slugger. Okay? He's got to learn diligence. He's got to learn the wisdom to, to quit being a slugger. Uh, over in chapter 13, what do we see? Thirteen seventeen. A wicked messenger falls into adversity, but a faithful envoy brings healing. And so we have the contrast. There's, you know, you send a messenger, and what if he turns out wicked? What if he turns out sluggard? What if he turns out faithful? Well, that's the best, obviously. We want him to turn out faithful. We want the one we send to do what it is we send him to do. And when that happens, there's a blessing connected to that. When that happens, we can rejoice that uh, a faithful envoy has done what he's supposed to do. All right? But if we're depending on them, we better step, step, uh, step back a, a minute and say, wait a minute, who am I trusting in? Who am I trusting in? Proverbs twenty five thirteen. Like the cold of snow in the time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him, for he refreshes the soul of his master. And I, I admit, I'm hoping to learn more about this before we get to chapter 25, because some of this doesn't make sense to me right now. I, I, why would the cold of snow be a good thing in the time of harvest? So I intend to ask some farmers and do some reading and learn some stuff, because I, 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 I'm not a farmer. Um, but it's spoken of in a positive way, a faithful messenger to those who sent him. So a faithful messenger, and it comes and it's refreshing, it's healing, it's a blessing, it's a benefit. A faithless messenger is like smoke in the eyes, is like vinegar in the teeth. It's uh, it's not a benefit. So we have the contrast. All three of these passages, I think, are are spelling out the contrast. All right. And so, what's the larger principle involved? Are we trusting in man? Is it the basis for our faith? And if somebody lets us down, 
are we so devastated that beyond the, 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 the natural effects of that, are we just off the rails? Hopefully we're not. Psalm 118 in verse 8, Psalm 146 in verse 3, Jeremiah 17 in verse 5. I think all three of those passages spell out the bigger point I'm trying to make from this verse about not trusting in man. Psalm 118 in verse 8. up. This is most likely a Davidic psalm, but we don't know that for a fact. There's no name in the in the uh, prescript. Uh, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. Let Israel say, His loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let the house of Aaron say, His loving kindness is everlasting. So what I know as an individual, verse 1, hopefully my nation can know as a nation, verse 2, and my priesthood or my spiritual leaders in verse 3. Let those who fear the Lord say His loving kindness is everlasting. From my distress I called upon the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. So it's not as if the Christian way of life is about having no problems. It's about having all kinds of problems, but watching the Lord bring you through to the other side and giving Him the praise and glory afterwards. The Lord is for me, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I will look with satisfaction on those who hate me. And then so many principles that come out of that verse, see, related to this. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. No matter who the man is, a political leader, someone with a lot of money, any human can let you down. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. And then we have the, the principle there. All right, Psalm 146 and verse 3. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord while I live. Remember, all these praise the Lords is, is hallelujah. That's the Hebrew hallelujah. Uh, hallelujah, O my soul. I will praise the Lord while I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Do not trust in princes, in mortal man in whom there is no salvation. His spirit departs, he returns to the earth. In that very day, his thoughts perish. You know, man is so temporary. And if your faith isn't a man, what are you going to do? When he drops dead tomorrow, and there goes your faith. Okay? And you're just devastated. Oh, I can't go on without him. Well, your faith was in man. That was dumb. Your faith should be in the Lord. He abides forever. How blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, his God. All right. I've got a beautiful psalm there in Psalm 146. How about Jeremiah? We were there not long ago. Jeremiah 17. thought about this. Jeremiah 17. And, uh, well, 
There's a large rebuke here in verses 1 through 4 that we covered in the Jeremiah class. But then in the application, verse 5, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes his uh, flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. For he will be like a bush in the desert, will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in stony wastes in the wilderness, the land of salt without inhabitant. Blessed is the man whose trust is the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water. What what a contrast, right? The scraggly bush just surviving, and then this tree who's thriving. He will like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream. He will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green and will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. He's not, all the wind comes, all the fire, all the drought, all these other circumstances, he's secure. He's on a foundation. He's in the Word. He's in the Lord. His trust is the Lord. What stability? Will not be anxious in the year of drought. Um, will not cease to yield fruit. <laughs> How many believers that just, they, they allow testing and circumstance to derail their walk. And they say, sorry, uh, I'm going to, I'm just, man, my life's a wreck right now. And, and, all, and they, they just, they say uh, they're going to have to put their, uh, their spiritual walk on hold until they can get their earthly walk together. Really? Isn't that kind of backwards? Shouldn't you get your spiritual walk on track and then watch the reflection of that in your earthly walk? See the, you know, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and allow all these things to be added to you? Well, you want to go get your earthly walk on track first and then, then you'll maybe make some time for, for Jesus after that? What are you doing? It's upside down and backwards. Okay? Anyway, the, the, the ceasing to yield fruit, I, I just find it interesting when, when believers say, well, I need to stop serving the Lord right now. Well, really? All right, now I'm not, I'm not saying there's not adjustments to be made. Yeah, we're going to make some adjustments. But while we're making those adjustments, keep serving, keep walking, keep, keep uh, you know, don't, don't give up on your Christian walk while you're waiting for other things to fall into place. All right, then... Verse 27. See, we're covering ground. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. The fear of the Lord prolongs life. You want to live long? How do you live long? You've got promises. Realize life may be lengthened or shortened as as conditional options within the plan of God. Life may be lengthened or shortened as conditional options within the plan of God. I think sometimes this doctrine gets taught incorrectly. Um, because I think the doctrine is bigger than we give it credit for. We, um, we accept, of course, the fact that God in His sovereignty has given us X number of days. Yes, I can prove that. Biblically, I can prove that. that, uh, that and it's a great comfort for us. Absolutely. We can, we can have confidence um, you know, I, I went to war knowing that, that, you know, I have X number of days on this earth and I'm not going to get killed on the battlefield unless my days are up. And if my days are up, then my days are up. Doesn't matter if I'm fighting Iraqis or if I'm, you know, whatever. And I told Sharon this as we got ready to ship out and fly overseas and say, you know, you're in the will of God, you're in the will of God. 
And, and so here I am, there's no fear. I have X number of days. All right? And, and when it is your time to go, it doesn't matter where you are. You could be in the safest place on earth. You could be, you know, uh, in a safe location, peacefully in your bed, whatever. No danger anywhere, but your time is up, so you're departing mortality. But it's bigger than that. And, and that's why I, t- I like to think of it as X, Y, and Z. Not just our X number of days, but our Y number of days and our Z number of days. And I only picked Y and Z because they come after X. Okay? Nothing real complicated about it. But God has options. And He's big enough to have options. And He has a comprehensive plan that is so glorious that it spans and it encompasses volitional decisions and if this, then that alternatives. And 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 the the design of God to create such things does not um, diminish His design. I think it enhances His design. It it magnifies His sovereignty in having an X Y Z uh, contingent will. All right, the contingent will of God. That's the if this then that will of God. And so in the contingent will of God then we have Y number of days and we have Z number of days. And however you want to classify this, I haven't put it on paper yet. So um, the Y number of days is when your days are shortened. Sin unto death, divine discipline, suicide, uh, human arrogance that takes it upon themselves to overrule the will of God and just say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end it now. All right? God permits it because God honors volition and God um, and God knows about it. But that day that you cut short is not your X number of days. God has designed a longer a longer span. And then He permits you to commit your final act of rebellion on this earth. So I call that the Y number of days. Then the Z number of days. When X gets extended... Again, it's in the contingent will of God, whereas a, pro- a consequence of His promise, children, obey your father or mother, is a promise. It's the first commandment with the promise. And what's the promise? Living long, long life. And the extension of days that is then promised. In fact, we're going to see in Psalms and Proverbs that it's with wisdom is long life. Length of days. Not only, I think, quantitatively, but also qualitatively. Length of days. Different applications there as well. So we'll come back to this next week and and take a look at um, Honor Your Father and Mother there in Deuteronomy 5.16 and these other passages also the sin and the death in 1 John 5.16 also the the concept of uh, maybe the concept of contingent will is one that we want to explore a little bit just to illustrate it and, and show that it is entirely scriptural in terms of the if this then that plan of God as he lays it before us and says, you know, choose you this day whom you will serve and uh, reap what you sow. Okay? Which, by the way, will be another nifty tie-in to uh, Galatians chapter 6 because we got sowing and reaping there too. Okay? Well, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for leading and directing our thinking as we study these things, as we study to show ourselves approved. Help us to chew on them, help us to consider, help us to put Scripture together with Scripture and and identify uh, the reality of your truth that we might live it out for the glory of your Son. 
I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.